Hey everybody, this is Armando Torres, and you're listening to the show before the show. And I'm Paige Wesley. And with us we have... Andrea Cassetta! Yay! Yay! And we have got a great episode for you. We are recording remotely with Paige today, um, so there's even less human contact than normal. Yay! Yay! Six feet wasn't enough feet. <laughs> no, <laughs> six feet is not even the distance of a full Armando. So just think about that. Aww. <laughs> um, <laughs> before we get into it, though, we've got some news and review. Uh, first news is that we have a Patreon now. Um, you can Yay. go to patreon.com slash cult podcast to check out all of the tiers that we have. But for just $5 a month, you get access to our bonus show, The Speculation Zone. Um, also, we've thought about having some, you know, Patreon hangouts, maybe like a Zoom hangout or something one of these days. So, you know, if you're subscribed to the Patreon or you're interested, just let us know what you'd be into and we'll consider doing it. And next, we have another five-star review. Yay! This one comes to us from Raya Faya, and they say, You got me! After 10 minutes of researching if Kimmy Schmidt is real, I realized it was April 1st. Thanks for the laugh. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> yeah, well, dude, we fucking got him, dude. I was not I was not expecting to get as many people with a midweek release on a cult that was the star of a Netflix show. That included like huge sections of the plot of Mad Men. <laughs> Oh, yeah, exactly. It was like, dude, what? It was pretty fun, though. <laughs> what are we doing? But, uh, yeah, I think without any further ado, uh, let's get into the show. Hello. 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 Don't drink the Kool-Aid. For the purposes of this podcast, we define a cult as organizations that rally behind an entity or leader who espouse beliefs outside the norm organizations that require physical or monetary sacrifice as a condition of membership organizations in which the doctrines followed by the leaders are different than that of the followers organizations in which isolation is encouraged either by commune living or by a policy of disconnection from outside relationships and organizations that actively recruit new members all cults might have some or all of these traits and as always these, these are, are our opinions, opinions. Thank you for tuning into Cult Podcast. I'm Paige Wesley. And I'm Armando Torres. And with us we have... Andrea Cassetta! Yay! And we're in our own homes! <laughs> <laughs> Quarantine, baby! Yeah. Um, it finally got us. It finally came for us. We're uh, deciding to remote record episodes of Cult Podcast now. Yeah. I mean, it was more just because I had to remote record a different podcast... And so, therefore, I had to set it up at my house and, you know, so I remotely got to talk yeah. about the movie Waiting to Exhale. <laughs> Waiting to Exhale is basically my life every time I take a hit of weed. Uh, that's how I feel every time I go on out, go outside without a mask on. <laughs> Can I can I go to the garbage and get rid of it in one breath? Let's go. My <laughs> lungs are primed for this virus, baby. Nuts. Dude, for real. I went to I went to the grocery store and I saw an old man buying just five bottles of beer with no mask and no gloves. And I was oh, like, gosh. Why are you here? Oh, you have a problem. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> 
He bought five bottles of beer. He knocked one down, passed it around, four bottles of beer in his cart. <laughs> Weird days. It is it is hard to feel like uh, we're not in an apocalypse when we're having we're, we're having to record a podcast off of a Google Pixel. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean we're definitely in the apocalypse. the The downside to not being together is you don't get to witness what I'm witnessing right now, which is my cat aggressively filleting himself. Nice, <laughs> nice. <laughs> We feel like there's a storm coming because Chewie's been humping his bed all weird, and that usually means <laughs> that usually means a storm's a brewing. But uh, dogs' genitals aside, um, or pet, pet genitals, pet genitals, pets, yeah, yeah. Dennis genitals. is a cat, a big bald cat, <laughs> a big bald cat. I'm seeing the butthole cut of cats right now. <laughs> oh God, I'm so glad they spared us. <laughs> Well, we have uh, part two of our series on Timothy Leary this week. Yay! I'm very excited. Um, Just before we start, uh, our sources for today's episode are the 1996 New York Times article on Timothy Leary by Laura Manzanurse. And then we have the book Storming Heaven by Jay Stevens. And then we have the book Flashbacks by Timothy Leary. And then we have a YouTube video uh, on Timothy Leary by the channel Biographics. Ooh. Yes. So last week we met Timothy Leary. Timothy's upbringing was about as dramatic as most reality TV shows. um, And this led him to having an interest in psychology. And between drinking, fucking, and gambling at various colleges across the country... He received his doctorate before settling down in Berkeley, California. It was there that he made a name for himself as an expert in his field. Unfortunately, it was also where his wife took her own life on his 35th birthday. And after that, Timothy was bouncing checks and presumably asses all over Europe. I just pictured him trying to bounce a check off a stripper's butt. And (laughs) that made me pretty happy. (laughs) Uh, he was just traveling all across Europe until he ran into his old friend, Frank Barron. Frank told him all about these amazing little things called magic mushrooms and how they changed his life forever. His friend got him a job as a lecturer at Harvard University and an open invitation to head down south old Mexico way. And when we left off, Timothy had just packed his bags. So in June of 1960, when Timothy Leary was 39 years old, he and his co-worker walked into their boss's office to ask for some time off. According to them, it was really hard to deal with their stuffy old co-workers at Harvard, and they deserved a vacation in Mexico. Hell yeah, dude. I love if that was a legitimate reason for a vacation where you're just like, Dude, Karen's the fucking worst. Can I have an extra week of paid leave? <laughs> like, have you smelled her perfume? God damn it. <laughs> it's like uh, the first day of orientation. They're like, so you get two weeks of sick time, uh, two weeks of vacation, and then one Karen day. And you can just use it whenever <laughs> whenever you got to go down to Mexico to get away from this <laughs> Whenever bitch. Karen is just too fucking much, you can take this day. <laughs> God, I need those days. (laughs) Do you have a Karen? They're more of a querito, but yeah. (laughs) No, it's definitely the white people in my office that are the problem. (laughs) That's that's the norm. (laughs) 
Now, we'll get to this mysterious co-worker in a second, but first let's talk about Timothy's boss at Harvard. He was a man named David McClelland. At this point in time, David had been practicing psychology for over 20 years, and he had been the chairman of Harvard's psychology department for about four years. But when two of his employees came to him complaining about how pretentious his department was, David actually agreed with him. Nice. I mean, I, 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 I empathize with this a lot because in the past, like specifically when I worked in retail, there were employees that you end up just kind of inheriting. Like you didn't hire them, but when you took over the store, they were there and, you know. Yeah, much like furniture. Yeah, exactly. And people would just be like, God, I hate so-and-so. And you're just like, I know, man. <laughs> like, it's true. There's nothing I can do about it. I can't fire them. They show up, but I get it. <laughs> so you you had employees that were like a microwave that came with the house. You were yes. like, I don't know how it got here, yeah. but it cannot leave. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. For some reason, someone super glued it into the wall and we just can't. <laughs> there were employees that people were like, I don't know, maybe one day they'll die. Like that, that was the true attitude <laughs> of, of like, we're never going to get to fire them. It's like family, you know, you can't get rid of them and they're still coming to Thanksgiving, but you're like, I don't know, maybe they'll just be gone someday. <laughs> it's like family. You can't get rid of them and they can't use Zoom. So, you know, deal with it. <laughs> I resent that. You can get rid of family. It just takes fish oil and a big ass tiger. <laughs> yeah, that's your little sardine oil, giant meat grinder, you know, you know. So David McClelland was in a very similar position to Paige Wesley at her old job. Um, <laughs> since the day that he was hired, David had felt like Harvard's psychology department was filled with old minds and outdated views. A lot of Harvard staff at this time subscribed to the adjust or else method of psychology. Basically, they thought that mental illness is something wrong with you. Until you fix it, you're doing something wrong. David thought of therapy as a way to work through issues and to overcome problems that we all face from time to time. He basically is the difference between like, hey, there's something wrong with you and hey, depression happens. We can get through this together. Yeah, it's the difference between, hey, we all go through tough times and we could all use some support systems and good coping mechanisms to work through it and then the different one is just hey you're sad why don't you shock your brain about it because like that <laughs> yeah. that was their you're option sad? why don't you shut the fuck up <laughs> you're sad you're a woman get back in the kitchen <laughs> i don't understand i made you orgasm with this weird vibrator 25 <laughs> times where did you get shoes and why aren't you pregnant <laughs> In order to change the outlook of psychology from the inside, David started filling his roster of lecturers with some of the best young experts in his field. This included people like the young World War II fighter pilot and Timothy's friend Frank Barron from last week's episode. But now, in June 1960, his current two ringers were Timothy Leary and a man named Richard Alpert, who is more commonly known by his name, Baba Ram Das. Damn. Yes, Ram Das still is around and still be philosophizing and all kinds of oh, shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pete yeah. Holmes is a huge follower of Ram Das. Is he really? 
Yeah, huge. Yeah, he's a huge Ram Dass fan. I legit stopped listening to his podcast because I was tired of how many times he brings up Ram Dass. I was just like, I can't deal with your bullshit right now, dude. Well, if you have <laughs> if you have a passing knowledge of who Ram Dass is, this is going to be a very fun episode for you. <laughs> he becomes a very key figure in this whole uh, thing. Richard Alpert had gotten the name Baba Ram Das uh, from Bhagavan Neem Karoli Baba at the Kainchi Ashram where he followed the guru for a number of years. But how many tigers did he have? Oh, see, that's a good question. I don't know that answer, <laughs> but I can only assume it was no less than three. <laughs> David McClellan approved Timothy and Ram Dass's vacation request and even decided to go with them until they told him that they were going to eat magic mushrooms as part of an ancient native religious ritual, and then he decided to go to a nearby resort instead. For a hot second, I thought you were going to say, until he found out that they were going to do mushrooms, and then he was like, let me bring Jenny also. <laughs> like, <laughs> more merrier, dude. As long as you don't bring Karen, dude. She's like a fucking microwave. You know what I'm talking about? You put food in her and then she chirps when it's done. <laughs> yeah, that's Karen. All right. And she might give you cancer. <laughs> <laughs> and also she has this bowl in her stomach that spins at a really low speed. <laughs> <laughs> so it was an August night in 1960 when Timothy Leary and Ram Das took psilocybin for the first time. And boy, was it a trip. Timothy claims that he reverted back to a single-celled organism and felt himself go through every stage of evolution before becoming himself again. Which is like, it's not a big deal, dude. We've all gotten too high and read Animorphs before. <laughs> Psilocybin, more like silly Sybin, am I right? <laughs> Do you remember way back in the day, this is a very early episode, when Marie talked about how much she loved Animorphs and that she would feel like she was going to turn into an animal at any second and it was all in the shoulders? Yes. <laughs> it all comes from the shoulders. That's where the horse comes from. Yeah, yeah. It was all mushrooms, apparently. <laughs> now I understand why you or why I'm Marie's replacement. <laughs> it's the horses. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and through this transformation, Timothy was able to see himself for who he truly was, an egotistical, womanizing fraud. He was working so hard to create a project that would bring him notoriety, but the true focus of psychology should always be on helping others. Timothy's ego washed away, as did the line between abstract and concrete thought, which allowed him to see his shortcomings laid out in front of him. And as the drugs wore off, the excitement kicked in. The way he saw it, Timothy had just found psychology's secret weapon. D drugs? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Being completely unconscious. <laughs> <laughs> Not just drugs, weirder drugs. Can we, if, if mushrooms truly have the ability to strip away ego can we just feed them to congress please <laughs> i mean if that were true then no comics would have ego i feel like his his theory on mushrooms might be flawed well we'll actually kind of come back to this ego part later and how it has an effect on the people who do the shrooms over a long period of time 
Now, as we move forward into the trippy part of Tim's life, I want you to keep in mind that the idea of a psychedelic trip is a new concept to America. Remember that the Time Magazine article that tipped the whole country off to shrooms was from only three years earlier. Timothy and Ram Das really didn't know what to expect, which explains why they broke one of the cardinal rules of tripping. When you are tripping, you will come up with a life-changing idea, but you have to wait until you're not tripping to know if it's a good idea. For example, the dessert dog, good life-changing idea. <laughs> Founding a religion based around the man who lived in the tallest house in Ridgecrest, California, who happens to be a real estate agent named Taylor Bibby, bad idea. What? That is, what? what? That is... That is a real thing that myself and my trip partner, Tony Bartoloni, did where we found the name of the man who lived in the tallest house in Ridgecrest, California, and he was a real estate agent named Taylor Bibby, and we talked to him about his house, and he was a real dick about it, and so we decided that he must be Jesus. Um, I mean, I'm a little confused because he has the tallest house, so clearly he's Jesus. Like, why was this a debate for you? <laughs> I'm kidding. Exactly. Add him to the list. Yeah. <laughs> See, it's a bad idea, but you have to be sober to know which ones are going to be the dessert dog and which ones are going to be a religion based around a real estate agent. I mean, I have bad ideas while sober all the time. I've been researching like wine fridges to try and make my own cheese cave in the house. So I don't need mushrooms to make bad ideas. So it would only make them worse, I think. That sounded like a weird insult towards a vagina where they're like yeah why don't you go home and play with your cheesecake <laughs> cheesecake was my nickname in college <laughs> oh no <laughs> and now <laughs> somebody got mad at jake for calling me a bread gnome and i was like have you met me <laughs> bread gnome is so great it's actually really adorable. It's very sweet. <laughs> it makes me think you have a pointed hat that's made of a French loaf. <laughs> I mean, not yet, but when the starter's done. Mm. Mm. So Timothy Leary and Baba Ram Das came up with the idea to use psilocybin in therapy to help patients see their issues in a more abstract way. Unfortunately, they decided to tell their boss the new plan while they were still tripping on magic mushrooms. So see, I have to take another week after work because I have to calibrate the cheese cave and then I have to build my own cheese <laughs> press out of multiple cutting boards. Don't worry. It's totally going to work. I watched like 40 videos on YouTube, but I first have to find these really long bolts. Have you seen that one guy's butt on YouTube? Like, it's a bad idea. Paige, this is why we invented Karen days. Go ahead. Take it off. <laughs> Don't share any of that cheese with Karen. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> Uh, while they were still tripping on magic mushrooms, they ran back to their hotel, they grabbed all of their notes, and they jumped into a car and drove to David McClellan's resort. All of those are bad, bad ideas. Yeah, that's not good. And after probably scaring the shit out of him, 
Timothy, I mean, just imagine you're at a resort and then like somebody comes over and they're like, uh, excuse me, Mr. McClellan, there's two men to see you. And you look over and they're like, I have an idea. <laughs> well, and they were driving like uh, Johnny Depp in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, just like all over the road. <laughs> yeah, they probably drove right next to the pool and were like, David, get in. <laughs> get in, loser. We're going tripping. <laughs> <laughs> When I took magic mushrooms, the only person I told was my dad. And his only advice was, well, just don't drive. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Start a religion, sure. Just don't drive. Exactly. As long as it's around about the man in the tallest house in Ridgecrest, California. <laughs> Mr. Bibby. And after scaring the shit out of him, presumably, Timothy and Ram Das explain what they had gone through and also the potential that these little fun guy possessed. Then they shoved him in their car and drove back to their hotel because they wanted David to trip with them. <laughs> They're really putting the fun guy back in fun guy. Am I right, ladies? Hey Bada boom. <laughs> Uh, luckily for David and probably everyone else, the hotel staff had been so freaked out by Tim and Ram Dass's earlier exit that they had sent a maid to check to make sure nothing was stolen. And when she found their stash, she destroyed it because she thought it was a tool used by devil worshippers. That's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, could be. Yeah, that's that's the most abuelita shit I've ever heard of in my entire <laughs> life. She destroyed their stash and just left some snacks for later. <laughs> she used she destroyed it using a chancla. She was just like, no, no, no. Oh, my God. <laughs> so David McClellan never tripped with Timothy and Ram Das. Good call. He just had to take his employee's word that the experience was life changing. But he had hired these two to shake Harvard up. And if they thought that magic mushrooms might be the key to psychology's future, then he had to say yes. And so the Harvard psilocybin project was born. Did he have to say yes? <laughs> but I mean, like, this week the cafeteria is going to be serving cream of the entire universe soup. <laughs> Maybe just some test trials or, so, you know, like, let's ease into it. Don't just say, like, oh, it seems fine. Yeah. So Timothy didn't have a lot in terms of resources when he was given permission to start the project. In fact, his office at 5 Divinity Avenue was just a slightly modified supply closet. So he had to pick his crew wisely. First, he picked Frank Barron. Tim's friend who had got him into shrooms in the first place. He and Tim had already run experiments together at the Kaiser Hospital, so it was a great fit. Next was Baba Ram Das, because believe it or not, Ram Das, out of the three of these guys, was the most respected of them at Harvard. Okay. <laughs> this was mostly due to the fact that he considered himself a protege of David McClelland. So just to break this down for you, he got the name Baba Ram Das when he followed a guru. He got his job when he was the protege of David McClelland. And then he made his career when he let Timothy Leary become his mentor. So really, his only superpower is just letting people teach him stuff. And 
I mean, not necessarily making the best choices in doing so. Yeah, exactly. So he would act as a go-between for Tim and the school's administration because if Ram Das said things were cool, then the school would believe him. With the main crew assembled, it was time to figure out how they would get the drugs. They couldn't afford to drive down to Mexico and back anytime they needed more mushrooms, but luckily, someone else had done the science for them. Timothy started ordering extracted psilocybin from Albert fucking Hoffman. Oh, no. Ah, yes. Yes. If, uh, if this name doesn't mean anything to you, Albert Hoffman is the father of LSD. His life is fucking crazy, and I'm currently working on a Speculation Zone episode about him right fucking now. So they had the permission, they had the crew, and now they had the drugs. Now all they needed was to find willing participants. And you know what the great thing about having a supply closet as an office is? The foot traffic is crazy. <laughs> Any grad student, young professor, or the occasional random passerby that peeked inside of Timothy's office was met with a smile and a proposition. Hey, want to take a trip? For their first experiment, the Harvard Psilocybin Project wrangled together 175 people to trip on psilocybin together. And they were all from different backgrounds. Poets, musicians, housewives, students, and statistically, one magician. Because a lot of people... <laughs> a lot of people don't talk about it, but one in every 175 people is a magician. Bring sleight of hand to an end. Burn the witches. What? <laughs> How did they handle all the flying chairs in that supply closet? <laughs> Yeah, this is, all we need now is that, that graphic, the more you know, to flash over everyone's head. <laughs> yeah, this is some Hogwarts shit, man. <laughs> yeah, over 90% of the test subjects in the experiment reported a life-changing experience. After this first experiment, every grad student on campus was asking for a spot in the Harvard Psilocybin Project. They were willing to do whatever grunt work was needed in order to spend more time around Tim Leary and his magic rainbow beans. <laughs> and this was perfect for Timothy because he and Frank had cooked up the project's next experiment. They had come across a job listing from the nearby Concord prison. The prison needed psychologists very badly and the project offered to fully staff the prison's psychology department in exchange for the permission to give psilocybin to 32 of the inmates. Oh, no. Yeah, this is where it gets dark. The prison agreed, which really just says a lot about prison, uh, and the Harvard Psilocybin Project dosed 32 inmates and led them through a game of cops and robbers where they were able to visualize their actions from a different perspective. This is terrifying. This is, this is horrible. Although I have to imagine that tripping would at least make jail better. Yeah, it probably made would it? cops and robbers a lot more exciting. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like... You have the right to remain a dragon. Anything you do say can and will be rainbows. Anything you say can and will destroy a village because it's fire. 
Um, the prison's data showed that in a random group of 32 prisoners, 64% would return within six months of parole. But after six months, only 25% of the test subjects returned to prison. Few short-term projects with prisoners have been effective to even a minor degree, and additionally, the personality test scores showed a measurable and significant positive change after the experiment. And then they came up with the Good Friday experiment. Prior to the Good Friday service, 20 grad students from Boston were rounded up and split into two groups. In a double-blind experiment, half of them got psilocybin, and the other half were dosed with niacin. Niacin, by the way, in case you don't know, is vitamin B3. It is commonly used to help lower cholesterol, although it has the following side effects. Nausea, redness of the skin, profuse sweating, yellowness of the skin, mild dizziness, Itching underneath your skin. That sounds horrible. Leg cramps, burping, or diarrhea, insomnia, really dark urine, muscle pain, and it makes your poop gray like an old-timey photograph. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> yeah. Horrible. horrible. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really... All of this is to say that initially, both groups felt a change in their body. But after the service was over... All but one subject from the experimental group reported a profound religious experience. The B3 group reported old-timey poops and, oh my God, what's wrong with my skin? <laughs> yeah, I hate it when my organs itch. <laughs> yeah. I just, I'm picturing the poops in, like, a Confederate soldier outfit. <laughs> like, the, like, those novelty photos people get at fairs yeah dearest Marsha, it has been five years since i have left the bowl i don't know if i'll be coming back but i do turn grayer by the day and it has a musket for some reason <laughs> my dearest lurlene three days i have floated on this god forsaken <laughs> lake and i do not know whence i will come home <laughs> Uh, the overwhelmingly positive feedback from the experimental group in the Good Friday experiment meant that Tim and his crew had empirical evidence supporting a notion that psychedelic drugs could facilitate a religious experience. In fact, Houston Smith, a very famous religious scholar, called the experiment the most powerful cosmic homecoming that he had ever experienced. There was like a parade and a football game and I asked my best girl to the dance. It was the best homecoming ever. <laughs> it, was, it was like homecoming dance, but Jesus showed up. <laughs> I didn't know Jesus went here, but you're always supposed to leave room for Jesus at your homecoming dance. <laughs> That's why you can't touch your boyfriend. Bible with the part. But between all of these experiments were a bunch of quote-unquote mini-experiments, and a lot of them were the same experiment over and over again. What if we took a bunch of people, gave them a bunch of psychedelic drugs, and then threw a kick-ass party at Tim's house and everyone's invited? It sounds like he just wants to do drugs. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, 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 that was kind of the thing. Eventually, the real experiments stopped, and these quote-unquote mini-experiments were the only ones that the project was hosting. And it's not like nobody noticed. Frank Barron, Timothy's best friend, even told Tim that things had gotten out of hand. At one of these mini-experiments, 
Timothy and Frank had a friendly debate about nuclear disarmament. Frank believed that the nuclear bomb had been created by the elite, so it would take an elite to unmake it. Tim believed that nukes weren't the problem, but rather a symptom of the elite class's quest for power. But in true dudes-on-drugs fashion, what they were really talking about was psychedelic drugs. Nice. Yeah, I feel like Timothy O'Leary is the original phone number in the bathrooms that say, call for a good time. (laughs) Just with a dick drawn at the end, and he's like, it's not a dick, it's a mushroom. I keep telling people. (laughs) Frank realized that if they were going to prove that psilocybin was the future of psychology, then they needed to run better experiments and convince an elite to try the drug. But Tim argued that the only way to end elitism altogether was to make sure that everybody had access to psychedelics. I love that he is so bent on access to psychedelics and we're still fighting for access to regular health care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who needs an MRI when you could have just, I don't know, everything, a dragon, a giant hippo that makes pizza. I am calling for universal mushroom care. <laughs> Shroom care. Yes, exactly. (laughs) But after this, Frank Barron looked closely at the Harvard Psilocybin Project and took it in for what it really was, a cult that saw psychedelic drugs as a god and one that had picked Timothy Leary as their prophet. He finally saw what the group looked like from the outside. Timothy presented psychedelics as enlightenment. It was the key to success in whatever you wanted to achieve. Were you a writer or a musician? Well, it would unlock creativity like you've never seen. Therapy wasn't working? Why not visualize your issues as manifestations in a game of cops and fucking robbers? (laughs) In fact, after the Good Friday experiment, Timothy talked about drugs like they were a path to a new heaven, a heaven within. All of those ideas were findings from the project's research, but really, when you break it down, the only thing that the Harvard Psilocybin Project had discovered were ways to convince people to try psilocybin. Which, I mean, if that was the goal. Yeah, exactly. Well, boy, were they good at it. You know, after recruiting almost all of Harvard psychology-focused grad students, the project took in other students, too. And then it took in visiting creatives, philosophers, and writers, and then pretty much anyone who walked into Timothy's door. Without counting Timothy and his main crew of the five trippy boys, the project had over 24 members and countless other random willing test subjects lying around. And I put random uh, test subjects in quotation marks because it's pretty much just the same people over and over and over and over. And at a certain point, the test results get skewed by the fact that you do mushrooms every fucking day. One of Timothy's main points was to never unwillingly dose anybody. He always got permission first. But there's a very strong argument to be made that no one knew what they were getting themselves into, because remember, psilocybin was very new to America as a whole. They didn't have the stereotypes, the ineffective dare programs, or really, (laughs) they didn't have any spaced out uncles who really loved denim, man. (laughs) Or blacklight posters. This dates blacklight posters. 
Like, what are you even supposed to do with these shrooms? What's exactly. The point? What's exactly. the point? Why am I doing this? Exactly. So I want to I want to open this up to uh, to Andrea a little bit. Andrea has also enjoyed magic mushrooms before. I did three years ago on my birthday. I took them. Yeah. So, Andrea, can you describe a psilocybin trip in a way that completely leaves out abstract thought and emotion? Uh, I'd say that's pretty difficult because essentially what it feels like to be on a trip is that logic kind of goes away so the way that you generally quantify things like I couldn't when I was on the trip I couldn't understand language like written language or numbers so I tried to use my phone and I couldn't even read it like it didn't make any sense to my brain and all of those things that we have of like two plus two equals four all those things don't really matter as much because it's such an internal landscape of your own feelings and these all these abstract ideas um i mean i think it's it's similar i mean having never done mushrooms it sounds like it's very similar to when people have an intense emotional experience which we see a lot of times when people start to join cults is that you know there are red flags along the way and they don't make sense because of how you feel emotionally and so it's easy to manipulate someone in that state because they're primed to receive the information that you're giving them. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. It's a mushroom trip is so hard to put into words. And the best way to explain it is that you don't really hallucinate. Your senses go all topsy turvy and front to down like a Star Wars door. It just right. Nothing really truly makes sense. Or reptile eyes. Yeah. Or reptile eyes. <laughs> Things will move kind of like they're breathing, but that's more of a symptom of the way that your brain's thought process has changed. It's not, you're not really seeing things that aren't there. You're just seeing things in a brand new way that blends the ways that your brain thinks of things with, uh, you know, cognition and abstract thought. When I did mine, I had, I went outside my body. So I yeah. saw my body from a third person perspective. Exactly. Um, and I also cried for, I think like three hours straight. I'd lost sense of time Holy and shit. then I couldn't move my body. That's 15 minutes more than usual. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Ow. She's poking oh, me. That would make my face hurt. <laughs> Timothy taught his colleagues, students, and test subjects that psilocybin worked as less of a drug and more of a vehicle, a way to transport yourself into your own brain to see who you were at your core. They even called themselves intranauts because they explored the abyss of their own mind instead of astronauts who explore the abyss of the outside world. <coughs> <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say this is some egotistical bullshit. Yeah. Anytime somebody puts knots at the end of their name, I'm just like, no. Unless their first name is Garlic. <laughs> <laughs> in which case, get in my belly right now. Thank you so we much. are the Garlic Knots, and we endure. <laughs> Nonsense. Once you spend time around Timothy Leary, a personal tour guide to inner enlightenment, it felt like you too had unlocked some ancient passageway into a new dimension within. And if something that fucking wild happened to you, it would be the only thing that you wanted to talk about. So it started slowly. 
After you tripped with Tim and the Project Boys, you wanted to tell everyone about what you went through, but nobody understands what the fuck you're talking about. Because you ate mushrooms and then you took a train to your own subconscious? That's fucking insane. Drop B3 and take a gray poop like a normal person. <laughs> like a normal <laughs> Having done stand-up comedy for a while, I think everyone thinks that their drug trip is as interesting as their dreams, but it's really only interesting to you. Yeah, I've listened to Pete Holmes's podcast before. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I mean, like, if you ever tried to explain a dream you had to someone that you were, like, excited about and they're just like, okay? Yeah, they're just like, I wasn't there. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, what the fuck? I know. And I have some weird fucking dreams. And then I'll just be like, this happened. And my husband's like, why do I need to know this? <laughs> <laughs> so let's say that you partook in the funky potato and now no one gets you. What do you do next? Well, why don't you start hanging out with the other test subjects from the experiment? And lucky for you, a lot of them are still hanging around Timothy Leary himself, so there's a chance you might get to trip again. As his test subjects slash followers put it, the experience was so overwhelming that they eventually realized they only wanted to be around people who understood what they had gone through. They wanted to share time and space together no matter what they were doing. And that's just the funky potato. They haven't even added sour cream and cheese <laughs> and bacon bits. They have no idea how great it can get. Yeah, the loaded funky potato. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, I mean, the absolute next tier where you added, like, you add barbecued meats Ooh. to your loaded funky potato. Mm. Heaven. Mm -hmm. Heaven within. Must be eating a potato. <laughs> I really hope they got matching jean jackets that say lab rats on the back. <laughs> with a Z. Yeah. Rats with a Z. Obviously. So this divided the psychology department at Harvard into two camps. Those who had taken psychedelics and those who had not. And those who had taken psychedelics walked around looking down on everyone that hadn't tried them. Because to them, those people were unwilling to take the necessary steps to unlock their true potential. Oh, I thought they were looking down on them because they were having an out-of-body experience. <laughs> <laughs> Look at all those losers down there standing next to the dragons. Fucking nerds. <laughs> Look at all those idiots in their bodies. <laughs> Jerks. <laughs> I could see down Becky's shirt, but also my future. <laughs> my future looks a lot like Becky's boobs. <laughs> Wonder which one holds the pee, which one holds the cum. So before long, Timothy had a huge entourage following him wherever he went. They packed into his closet office, they came to his house once or twice a week, and they even dominated an entire quarter of the cafeteria every time Tim got hungry. At all times of the day, Tim was surrounded by people who saw him as their teacher of enlightenment, and he fucking loved it. And when Frank Barron realized what the Harvard Psilocybin Project had become, he actually quit. But he left Timothy with a warning. If he didn't get the elite on board soon, they were going to look down on him as if he was a fucking monster. But by this point, it was already too late. 
Timothy Leary, Baba Ram Das, and a few other members from the Harvard Psilocybin Project were invited to speak at the 1961 Congress for Applied Psychology in Copenhagen, Denmark. The giant assembly room was full of psychologists who wanted to hear about how this new drug might revolutionize the game. And one of the psychologists in the room was a man named Herb Kelman. Now, Herb Kelman is exactly who you think he is based off of his name. He's a fucking nerd. Oh, I was going to say stoner because his name is Herb. No, his name, <laughs> his name is, it, it's even, it even sounds like an anti-marijuana slogan. Herbs kill, man. Oh my God. <laughs> You're killing my buzz, man. <laughs> so... Herb Kelman had known Ram Das for many, many years, and he had heard only the best things about his buddy, Timothy Leary. But for the past year, when the project was founded and experimenting, Herb Kelman had been on a sabbatical in Norway, but he was about to head back to Harvard to continue teaching social ethics, and he wanted to see a glimpse of what his coworkers had been up to. And what he saw in Copenhagen was Timothy thanking Frank Barron for introducing him to mushrooms, and then Ram Das thanking Timothy for getting him into mushrooms, and then so on and so on and so on. They weren't presenting a new tool. They were promoting psilocybin like it was a new religion. To Herb Kelman, the project looked like nothing more than a bunch of doped-up idiots. He's not wrong. <laughs> no, not, not by a long shot. But he figured that he couldn't be the only one to see that they were idiots, and he figured that Harvard's administration would put the project down. But when he got back to Cambridge, he saw the exact opposite. Timothy and Ram Das were being hailed as pioneers by their boss, David McClelland. In fact, they had even been given the prestigious honor of co-teaching this year's seminar in Introductory Clinical arguably the most important mandatory class a psychology doctoral candidate will take at Harvard. And it also meant that Timothy was now this close to making tenor, which is like, you know how in movies, cops are always three weeks from retirement? That's the equivalent for teachers. They're like, I'm getting too old for this shit. Just three weeks away from tenor, boy. It's tenure. I think it's tenure. Tenure. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, why tenure. I don't have tenor. <laughs> <laughs> I thought tenor is like a singing thing. It is. It's it's a vocal range. Tenure. Aha. Ah, smart gal. I may not be able to hear pitches, but I know what a tenor is. <laughs> I'll slip you a tenor if we can stop talking about this right now. <laughs> so David McClelland had given them a forum to denounce antiquated ideas about psychology and to implement new, better ideas. However, what David didn't know was that Tim and Ram Dass's new better ideas mostly revolved around tripping on mushrooms. Timothy very much urged all of his students to take a trip during their time together, and all but one agreed. And this lone holdout was absolutely shunned. Tim and Ram Dass saw him as a retrograde psychologist with outdated views. His classmates, like all of Tim's followers, felt that they couldn't connect with anyone that hadn't experienced what they had. Suddenly, a student's position in a class needed to graduate was in trouble because they didn't want to do drugs. But luckily for this kid, he picked the best person to tattle to, Herb Kelman. 
Herb was rightfully outraged with Timothy and Ram Das. They had taken a mandatory class and used it to advocate the use of psychedelic drugs. He immediately filed a complaint with the chairman of Harvard's psych department, Mr. David McClelland. And David was conflicted. On one hand, he was starting to realize that the project and their test subjects were one group of people, meaning that everyone, researchers included, were getting high on shrooms. But on the other hand, he had hired Timothy and Ram Das to shake things up at Harvard. That was the whole reason that he brought them on board. So he did the only fair thing he could think of. He decided to hold a debate that pitted Herb Kalman and the Social Ethics Gang against Timothy Leary and the Project Boys. But Timothy Leary wasn't afraid, because David had his back, right? And everyone loved tripping, right? And, besides all of that, no amount of facts thrown against him could defeat that lovable Irish charm. But on March 16th, 1963, it all came crashing down for Tim. Herb had come prepared. He didn't want to reform the project. He wanted it dead. Herb criticized the project for focusing purely on experience instead of proven facts deduced from the use of the scientific method. And then he criticized Timothy and Ram Das as psychologists. The emphasis of the group was on taking drugs instead of verbalizing their findings, and Herb Kelman argued that that is the exact opposite of what a good psychologist would do. So suddenly, they're not just fighting to save the project, they're fighting to save their own reputations. The debate lasted about 90 minutes, but halfway through, it devolved into chaos. Timothy Leary sat on stage completely silent and unresponsive while Baba Ram Das started verbally attacking Herb and the rest of the snobby old psychologists who disagreed with them. It was on this day that the project died. So, I mean, you can just imagine the scene. Baba Ram Das is just getting up and yelling like, no, you're an asshole. You don't understand shrooms. And Timothy Leary is just sitting there like a kid who got in trouble. And both of them are trying to figure out what the fuck happened because a day before everyone loved them. Yeah. Weird. It's almost like forcing people to do drugs is bad. Yeah. The school newspaper ran the story first and then it made its way to the local papers and then it got picked up by every big news team in America, and in only 24 hours' time, just about everybody had heard about the crazy drug experiments being held in a supply closet at Harvard University. Timothy, the Harvard Psilocybin Project, and Harvard itself were all deeply embarrassed. And just like that, Timothy's career as an educator, one very close to making tenure... There you go. It was over. And... His contract as a lecturer ended and he was not invited back to Harvard. The remaining stockpile of psilocybin was given to a man whose actual name is Professor Farnsworth. So, <laughs> just so you know, the dude from Futurama, that's why he's so fucking crazy. It's because he took a bunch of psilocybin and then froze himself. Is this what my parents say when they say, uh, I want things to be the way they used to be? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Like, hey, really trippy. remember when you almost failed out of Harvard for not taking psilocybin? <laughs> and Timothy gave his own supply of psilocybin to his former followers, a supply so big, by the way, that it jump-started a black market for psychedelic drugs all across Cambridge. 
But this wasn't the end for old Timothy Leary. Just like every good horror movie ends with a hint that the killer is still alive, our story has this. As he left Harvard and his precious psilocybin behind, Timothy wasn't worried, because he had something new, something more powerful than ancient Mexican mushrooms, something that would make psilocybin look like vitamin B3. LSD. And that's where we'll pick up next week on part three of our series on Timothy Leary. Yes. Yeah, it's it's like the whole like uh uh Freddy Krueger's hand reaching out of the ground at the end of the Jason movie. That's that's <laughs> Timothy Leary's hand bouncing out of the ground holding a vial of acid. And he's like, it gets stronger. No. But also, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's the thing. It's so like, I have been kind of conflicted because a majority of where we see the culty things in his life are here in this episode and at the start of the next episode. But his life is so fucking crazy that we're just going to cover the entirety of the rest of his life in next week's episode because there was so much wild shit that went down. So this is only a taste of the complete absurdness that is the life of Timothy Leary, which is kind of insane to think about, that this isn't even the full story. Yeah, I'd call this episode a microdose, if you will. Ah, that's pretty good. So this episode, just like every episode, is sponsored by the wonderful Vitamin B3. Make your poop <laughs> look like an old-timey photograph. No. <laughs> Take great poops like a normal person. Exactly. And have no idea what's going on with your skin. Because I do want to reiterate that three of the side effects of Vitamin B3 were redness of the skin, yellowness of the skin, and itching underneath your skin. Which, two things. First of all, that just makes orangeness of the skin. Right. And, skin. <laughs> and secondly, what the fuck is vitamin B3 doing to my skin? I mean, I think it's taking it's pretty clear that it's taking the color from your poop and putting it back into <laughs> your skin. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, that's that's so why great. your poop is gray. It's using all the extra colors like the red 49 <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, I think gray poop we should rebrand as artistic poop. Ooh. Or mustard. Yeah. Ooh, Dijon poopy. I was I was thinking gray poupon. <laughs> well, that makes more sense. Oh my god, that's that's amazing. That's great. Um, <laughs> our 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 episode actually is sponsored by our wonderful, awesome Patreon donors. <laughs> They'd be taking those gray poops all day long. Hell yeah. Every Patreon donor definitely takes a gray poop. <laughs> um, <laughs> this one this week is dedicated to our Patreon donor, K Nasty. K Nasty. They spell their name K N A dollar sign T Y and then a <laughs> cowboy emoji. Ooh, I can't wait to hear your pop single. <laughs> Save a horse, ride K nasty. Um, <laughs> that's great. Dollar sign is the only way to spell nasty in my book. I really hope this is the grittier Kesha reboot. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to learn more about our Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash cult podcast, where for just $5 a month, you get access to our bonus show, The Speculation Zone, and a shout out on the show. Uh, but there are a lot of other awesome tiers as well. Oh. Um,. I'm going to say for this one, 
if you want to send me um, the best vitamin to use in place of psilocybin, uh, I'm going to say you can do that. Um, if it fucks with my poop, that's actually a positive for me. <laughs> um, go ahead and send those to Instagram and Twitter at Mondo Does Stuff. That's M-A-N-D-O Does Stuff. Hey guys, if you want to send me your favorite trip story, I'd love to hear it. Uh, bonus points if you had an out-of-body experience. I'm here for it. Uh, send them to me on all the things at Sundress Comic or check out my art at Andrea Gazetta or at AndreaGazetta.com. I've been eating a lot of Fruit Loops, which means that my poop is typically a turquoise color. Ooh. <laughs> Does it also have a hole in the middle for easier for in case you choke on it? <laughs> Never mind. I'm sorry. Your poop looks a lot like Albuquerque, New Mexico. <laughs> yes, and old ladies wear it as jewelry. Um <laughs> so if you've taken a poop that's a strange color, particularly a gray one, you can send me pictures of it because I want to see them <laughs> at Rampage Wesley on Instagram or at Page Wesley on Twitter. If you like the show and you want to follow us on Instagram, you can do so at Colt Podcast. Or at Colt Podcast Show on Twitter. You can also send us an email to coltpodcastshow at gmail.com. Or you can send us your poop if you want at 3756 West Avenue 40, Sweet K, number 237. Like the Shining. Los Angeles, California, 90065. If you're crappy and you know it, send us poop. Uh, um, and I'm going to say, don't drink anything that Timothy Leary hands you. Oh, again. yeah. Yeah, please don't. Gross. Mm-hmm. And avoid drinking any blueberry flavored shakes from Baskin Robbins because they will turn your poop bright blue. <laughs> but if you do, send me a picture of it. <laughs> and don't drink the Kool-Aid. Bye. Bye.